Let's pray. God of love, we know that you are with us right now, and we pray that your spirit will move within us to open us up, to open our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds, so that we might hear a word from you. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's this book that I love reading to our kids. They're both almost too old for it now, but it's called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. In the book, there's this family that is, you guessed it, going on a bear hunt. It starts like this. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. But along the journey, they encounter obstacle after obstacle. First, it's a meadow with long, wavy grass. Then it's a river, a a deep, cold river. Then mud, thick, oozy mud. And it goes on and on. And with each obstacle they encounter, they say the same thing. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. So it is with the wilderness. That's what we've been talking about for these past few weeks, the wilderness, both as an ecosystem in the land of Israel, but also as a season of life, a season when things are hard, when everything seems to go wrong. And it's no secret that we are in a wilderness time here in America. There's a pandemic. The economy is in tatters. People are struggling. There's a racial awakening and reckoning. There's political fighting to the nth degree and storms moving through the Gulf, making everything worse. And what we discover once again is what's always been true about suffering. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You've got to go through it. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be wrapping up our Wonderland series, reading two more wilderness stories. This morning, we've got another story from David in the wilderness. It's in the time before David becomes king. Saul is still king of Israel, but but Saul knew. Saul knew that David was God's chosen one, that David was God's anointed one. Saul knew that David would eventually take over the throne of Israel. And Saul was full of resentment and jealousy. And Saul tried to take David's life several times over several years. In response, David chose finally not to fight, but to flee, to flee deep into the wilderness. And what he discovers is what we're talking about this morning. There are no shortcuts in the wilderness. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You've got to go through it. Our story is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 24. If you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you to read along. We're going to start in verse 1. Likewise, if you've downloaded this morning's digital worship guide, you can find it there and you can read along with me. Here it is from 1 Samuel, chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. That's the same place, the place called En Gedi. He, Saul, came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of that cave. 
Now let's pause right there for a second. Imagine the scene. David and the handful of men with him are on the run. They're hiding from King Saul in the wilderness at a place called En Gedi. And the reason they're hiding at En Gedi is that there's water there. En means spring. There's fresh water, but there are also steep cliffs and lots of caves, hundreds and hundreds of caves to hide in. And the cave that they are hiding in just happens to be the cave that Saul wanders into when nature calls. I don't think it's an accident. It's a divinely appointed encounter. Uh, God intended for them to meet there. And here's what happens next. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. In other words, now's your chance. This guy's been hunting you for years. Now the tables have turned. Strike him down and the kingdom is yours, just like God promised. And then finally, they think, finally we can stop running through this wilderness. Now's his chance. So what's David going to do? Here's what it says. Then David went. This is the end of verse 4. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. Just a little piece of fabric. He didn't harm a hair on Saul's head. And afterwards, David was stricken to the heart because he had cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he, Saul, is the Lord's anointed. So David scolded his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. Then Saul got up and left the cave and went on his way. What are we supposed to make of this? Did David lack the courage or the skill to strike Saul? No. David was an incredibly accomplished soldier. Did he suddenly get squeamish, thinking of the sight of blood? I doubt it. This is the same guy who cut off the head of Goliath. No, I think what we're supposed to see here is that the wilderness has been working on David. I said a couple of weeks ago that time in the wilderness is not wasted time because the wilderness can change us. It can change us for the better. In the Bible, stories of wilderness have a very clear function to humble, to test, and to teach. And that's what the wilderness has done to David. It worked on him because the wilderness has humbled David has shown him that he is not God, that he cannot provide everything he needs all on his own. The wilderness has tested him too. The wilderness has made him answer God's question, will you trust me? Will you trust me here when the necessities of life are not in view? Will you trust me here when things are harder than you ever thought they would be? Will you trust me here? And the wilderness has taught David It taught David that he could rely on God for everything he needed. It taught David that God was capable and caring and reliable, that God was enough. So in the end, the wilderness wasn't just a place for David to hide out and survive. The wilderness was also a place for David to mature into the kind of leader the Lord wanted for his people, a leader after God's own heart. There in the cave, inches away from Saul, David knew that he was the Lord's anointed. 
David knew that he would one day be king. But he also knew that there was a lot he didn't know. God hadn't told David when he would become king. God hadn't told David how Saul would lose the throne. David's men were anxious to fill in the gaps. Now's your chance. They saw an opportunity to take a shortcut out of the wilderness, to fast forward to the very end, to strike down Saul and end their time on the run, to get on with the God-given work of leading Israel. David, I'm sure, was tired of the wilderness. But instead of trying to fill in all the unanswered gaps, instead of trying to shortcut his way and fast forward to the end, David approached the opportunity through the lens of the question that God always asks, will you trust me here, now? I've maybe mentioned this before, but we've been watching a lot of kids' movies lately. Frozen 2 has become a favorite in our house. If you haven't seen it, you should, and you'll sing along soon. There's one song in the movie, Anna, oh, let me start over. Jordan, let's go back and let's cut to um, right after Will You Trust Me Here Now. I've maybe mentioned this before, but we've been watching a lot of kids' movies lately. Frozen 2 has become a favorite in our house. If you haven't seen it, you should, and you'll be singing along soon. Uh, there's one song in the movie. Anna and Elsa, sisters, are separated, and it's a dark moment in the movie. Anna is worried. She's afraid. Because she knows, she just knows that something terrible has happened to her sister. It's a wilderness moment in the movie. And the way she starts the song makes clear just how barren this wilderness is. Here's what she says. I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold. This is empty. This is numb. The life I knew is over. The lights are out. Hello, darkness. I'm ready to succumb. As the first verse crescendos, she sings with a tremor in her voice. You are lost, hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. And as the song goes on, she names over and over the harsh realities of walking a wilderness road, but she always comes back to just do the next right thing. Take a step, step again. It is all that I can to do the next right thing. This is what David is doing in the cave with Saul. David doesn't know exactly how the future is going to unfold, but what David knows is that everything, everything is in God's hands. God's hands, not his. David knows that he can rely on God for everything he needs. David knows that he can trust God even here, even now. So all he needs to do is the next right thing. For us, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how this week or this month or this year will unfold. We don't know when this wilderness will end. But our time in the wilderness has shaped us, hasn't it? 
Because now, more than before, we know that the world is in God's hands, not ours. We know that God will provide everything we need, and we know it in a brand new way, don't we? We know more than we did before that we can trust God right here, right now. So all we need to do is the next right thing. And you know, people have been asking me, what's the plan? What's the plan, Sean? What are you going to do? And they're talking about church and they're talking about home. What are you going to do about school for the fall? What are you going to do for worship? And to be honest, the question has overwhelmed me. Because I feel like I can't reliably plan for even two weeks at a time. So, so what are we supposed to do? Well, it finally hit me this week. You're supposed to do the next right thing. And that's what we're going to try to do here at the church. It's hard to know what the future holds. So each day, each and every day, we're going to do the next right thing. As we figure out how to live and to do ministry in a world where coronavirus is an ongoing reality, we're going to take a step, step again. And if we make mistakes, we'll learn from them, and then we'll, we'll take another step and another step. And as best we can, each day we'll do the next right thing. That's what I want you to hear this morning. If you're a parent who's about to send your kids back to school, you don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to have it all planned out. You don't even need to know what tomorrow looks like. Just do the next right thing. If you're lonely or bored or really feeling the weight of isolation, you don't need to snap out of it. You don't need to fix it all right now. Just do the next right thing. We are still walking through the wilderness. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. So take a step and step again. Do the next right thing. Let's pray. God of glory, we know that you walk with us, ahead of us and behind us. So we pray that with every step we take, we will remember that you are capable, that you are caring, that you are reliable, that you will provide everything we need, and that we can trust you right here, right now. Guide our steps, Lord, so that as we walk into the future you have prepared, we will each day do the next right thing. Amen. Amen.